and sisters, again, it's a joy to be with you. Our hearts are full this morning, and I think it goes without saying that you learn the character of someone and what someone is really all about during some deep, dark times of crisis. And this has been one of those weeks, again, I'll just say that we have learned as a church family that uh, I just want to thank you for being a people that not only sing Jesus is better, I think you believe it. And you've modeled that in many ways, and I again just want to say thank you. And it's been a joy to walk alongside, in hard times, the family like Michael and Rebecca, and I think they believe that, and I know they believe that, that Jesus is better than any sorrow, and they've demonstrated that this week. So thank you for being the body of Christ uh, that you are. I want to invite you to take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to open up God's Word, and I want you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And we're going to be there together in just a few minutes. You can look around verse 41 or 42. We're going to start there. And There's a Bible in, the, in front of you in the seat pocket. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take that. Uh, the words will be on the screen shortly. But we're going to continue with our Church Defined series asking the question, what is the church and what's the church all about and what are we grounded on and what do we pursue and what are the promises we make to one another as God's people and continue uh, that this morning. I want to kind of set the direction of where we're headed today with just this reality that I don't, uh, I don't think we realize the effect or the power that the culture that we live in has on our own worldview. In other words, we live in a Western culture, all of us here, that whether you realize it or not, preaches, pursues, and champions personal individualism and personal independence. In other words, we live in a culture that champions statements like this, well, no matter what, above all, you be you, no matter what. And we live in a culture that celebrates, I think, one of the highest virtues that our culture celebrates is the idea of self-determination, that I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to be what I want to be, and it's not wrong to have dreams and aspirations, I don't mean that at all, but our culture champions the idea of, and I'm going to do it all by myself, I'm going to do it alone, watch me go, and I really don't need anybody. We, we breathe that culture, we we hold out even as a goal of, of people to become where you are completely self-reliant, that, that you don't need anybody's help, that you can go it alone, that you are completely independent and you don't need anybody. And that's the culture that we live in and that's the culture that we hear and the messages of that constantly. And here's the challenge is, however, living in that culture and the United States has reaped what we've sown in that culture in many ways. For example, among developed nations in the world, the United States ranks number one in antidepressant drugs. In other words, it might be a very dark place to live when you live independent and all alone and in the world of self. A recent study by Cigna Health Cigna Health conducted a recent study, and the results came out in May 2018. So it was a very recent. And Cigna Health uh, uh, did a study of over 20,000 Americans of all ages and all socioeconomic backgrounds and all this. And after the study, they were looking for some certain data, but they concluded from this study, and I quote, that loneliness is epidemic in America. 
And that the age group most affected by it is the group called the millennial generation. Because that's what they've grown up in and that's all they heard, continually bombarded. Now I just want to say that as a matter of fact of what we live in and that's the culture that we live in and the air we breathe. But I want you to know that when you open to the pages of scripture and you see the description of the church and of the body of Christ, you see something very, very different. When you see the Bible describe the church and the redeemed people of God, you see a family described. You see a connected body described. You see a people who are interdependent on one another and who lean into one another and are vitally connected to one another. That is the body of Christ and the world knows nothing of it like what we get to experience as the people of God by grace. In fact, I just want to remind you of a few statements. We're going to get to Acts 2 in a few minutes, but I want to look at a couple other verses that kind of hold this out for us this morning as a reminder. So Romans 12, 5 says this, speaking of this whole idea of fellowship and community in the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, So we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of it. It doesn't mean that we, we don't lose our individuality. We are individuals, but our individuality takes a second seat to who we are collectively as the body of Christ. We are one in the body of Christ by the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, For by one Spirit we were all baptized or united or immersed into one body. Whether and I love this, what's this? Whether Jews or Greeks, so it's not an ethnic issue. Whether slaves or free, so it's not an economic issue. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you come from. That as believers in Christ, we were all made to drink of one spirit. In other words, what unites us are not a lot of things we might find in common. In fact, we might have a lot of differences. What unites us is the very spirit of Jesus Christ that dwells within all of us. And that trumps everything else. Now this was a big deal to Jesus, and it is a big deal to Jesus today how we love one another and how we relate to one another and how we connect in community. John 13, Jesus said it this way, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Well, how far do we take that, Jesus, even as I've loved you? That you also may love one another, verse 35, by this. And listen to this verse. By this, Jesus says. All men and women, the watching world, will know that you're my disciple. You have love for one another. Man, they know I'm a disciple because I carry this big old Bible. Have you seen this big old Bible I carry? Everybody knows I'm a disciple of Jesus. No. You know all the things I've accomplished, and you know all the pens I've got from church. And you know all Jesus said, listen, You want the world to see an unspoken testimony of who you are. How do you love and connect and relate to one another? See that? Man, we saw that lived out this week in so many ways. So many testimonies of people who watched a church love one another and grieve together and serve a family in need that had to look on and go, what is that? How do you love like that? Jesus, that's the only answer. 
This was such a big deal to Jesus that John 17, go ahead and put that scripture up on the screen. Before Jesus dies on the cross, the next day, Jesus is in the garden and he's praying to his father and he prays something specifically. And here's what he prays the night before he's crucified. He says, Father, this is Jesus praying, I'm praying not only for these disciples, the 11 that were with him, but he says, for for all who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, Father, you and me, I and you, that they may be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. What does all that mean? That means the way we relate to one another is a big deal to Jesus. And listen, as Christians, if you are a follower of Christ, you don't have to go form unity. You have unity by nature of knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, you share in the very unity of the Holy Trinity of God. Ephesians says to us that we're to continue to fight for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Sometimes we've got to fight for it. So this whole thing of the way we love one another and the way we connect with one another, Jesus prayed for it. And I'll just say this, Jesus died for it as well. It's a big deal. So this morning we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to look at this whole principle or this whole idea as we continue the church defined series we've talked about our principles that ground us we're talking about these practices that we pursue we've looked at abiding in Christ we've looked at gathering as a community now now we're talking about connecting in true fellowship in true community with one another what does that look like we're going to pursue that as a church family so I want you to look at Acts chapter 2 with me we're going to see a model of it we're going to see a picture of it and I want to ask the question is this what are the key characteristics of this thing called biblical fellowship now when I say the word fellowship I know what happens I know where your mind goes man I use the word fellowship and some of you guys can smell a casserole I get that and you're thinking, man, is it lunchtime? We're going to Mamaw's house. Or, oh, I get all that, but I, I need you to understand, fellowship, as the Bible presents it, thank goodness it involves food sometimes, but it's a whole lot more than the casserole on the table. A whole lot more than that. So this morning, I want us to get our minds around the big truth that's going to kind of shape where we're going this morning. And, and here's the big truth, is this. Uh, I know I jumped ahead. Sorry, that's my fault. Uh, big truth. Together, Jesus followers mature in Christ, likeness, Christ's likeness, pursuing biblical fellowship with one another. We grow in Christ's likeness. We grow in maturity, not in isolation, not in, well, I know Jesus, but I don't have much to do with his people. We grow in fellowship and community in this oneness with one another lived out. On a day-in-and-day-out basis. So the question for us this morning is, okay, Pastor Mike, that's such a big deal to Jesus and such a big deal to the the Bible and the Apostle Paul and all this stuff we're reading. What does that look like? So Acts chapter 2 gives us, I think, probably one of the best snapshots in the Bible of a group of believers, a group of Jesus followers, living out true biblical fellowship. So we're going to just look at a few verses here. I'm going to pull a few truths out for you. and, And I'll just be honest. For some of us in this room, man, we know this, we want this, we're pursuing this, we desire this. Some of us in this room would still say right now, you know what, this idea of biblical community, it's just not for me. 
And man, I'm praying and I'm trusting, especially after the week we've come, we've come out of, I pray that there's not a single person who names Tri-Cities as their church home that doesn't know the joy and the privilege of having community of brothers and sisters around you, that you've immersed yourself in biblical community, this thing called fellowship. I don't want you to be without it. What is it? What are the key characteristics of biblical fellowship? So follow with me. We're going to read Acts 2, 41 through 47. So the Bible says this. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. Now stop right there. Let me give you the context so you know what's going on. Acts chapter 2, it's the birth of the church. We go back about 2,000 years. The apostle Peter has just preached the message called Pentecost. The Spirit of God has come and has moved and he's redeemed like 3,000 people. The church has gone from 120 in an upper room, scared, horrified. Now the church is birthed into 3,120 people. It's growing. And that's where we pick up here. It says, so then those who had received his word were baptized. They were united and identifying with a local fellowship, the church at Jerusalem. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. Man, what a day that was. So here's these new believers and these new followers of Christ. What did they start to do? What, What were they involved in? What did it look like for them? Verse 42 says, they were continually, that's, that's a tough word, by the way. They were continually devoting themselves to some things. The word devotion means priority. It means to the idea of consistency. It's the idea of steadfastness, of setting your heart on something. And you, know, you don't see anywhere here in the Bible that says, and somebody went out and said, listen, you're a new believer, you need to be in fellowship, and you need to gather with God's people, and you need to abide in Christ. That wasn't it. They were born again. They were not living in a church culture. They lived in Jerusalem where they were hated. They had just seen Jesus crucified. Man, they had no doubt in their mind they vitally needed one another. They knew that. So it says they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. We'll talk about that in just a minute. They were devoting themselves to fellowship. There's that word. It means partnership. It means sharing. It's the idea of the oneness that we have as believers. They were devoting themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Breaking of bread. I knew casseroles would get in there somehow. So that, that's not what that means. But anyway. 43, verse 43 says, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed, all these new believers were together. And they had all things in common. Pastor Mike, do you think that means they all liked each other and just thought each person was just the greatest person? Nope. In fact, you don't have to get past the 11 disciples to see guys that had trouble getting along sometimes. So this is not some idealistic panacea that, oh man, we just love each other so perfectly. We all, we, there may be times within the body of Christ, you don't like each other. <laughs> That's life. But let me tell you something. There's something greater that supersedes your preferences and your opinions and your tastes and all that stuff. It's the fact that you are united with every other believer because of Jesus Christ. And he has called us and enabled us to love one another by the power of Christ. But it might get messy sometimes. Early church had mess. We know that. 
Verse 45, it says, or 44 says, they all believed, they were together, they had all things in common. Verse 45, they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as one might have need. Man, you can't pay your rent. I'm going to go sell some clothes. I'm going to do whatever it takes because you, you are me and I'm you and we're so connected. Your needs become my needs. Wow. This is 46, verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. They were gathering day by day. Some of us say, Pastor Mike, I just don't know if I can get there every Sunday together with God's people. Listen, early church, day by day. Every day. They were gathering in the temple. It says they were gathering from house to house. They were meeting with one another because they knew they needed one another. They were breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. I just tell you, this is one of the greatest pictures of biblical fellowship in your Bible happening, happening naturally. Is an overflow of the work of God in their lives. So really quick, what are some characteristics that stand out to us from this passage? And I'll go through these quickly and just write these down if you want. So when we talk about biblical fellowship, what are some characteristics of it? Let me give you four. Number one is this. We see a devoted pursuit. Verse 42, it's unmistakable. They were continually devoting themselves. Again, the word devotion is the idea of steadfastness, of consistency, devoted pursuit. It means Jesus' followers prioritize time with one another. Now, Pastor Mike, now you're getting into my business. Now you're getting into my schedule. And I know these guys here in the early church, it says they were gathering day by day, and they, they were in house to house, and they were pursuing fellowship. But man, you know what? Those guys couldn't have been as busy as we are. And those guys couldn't have had as many, many responsibilities as we are. Listen, newsflash for you. Here's something that came to me as I was reading this and thinking through it. The early church, what's this? They had 24 hours in every day. That'll hit you maybe on the ride home. The first service got it. They really they thought it was awesome. Y'all are a little slower. In other words, it comes back to those excuses of, well, Pastor Mike, you know, I'm a, I'm a busy guy, and I just don't know if I can find the time for groups and gathering, and I just don't know if I can find the time. I've lived for a few years, and I've never found time. In other words, you're not going to create time. you got 24 hours. The issue is the priority and how you deal with that resource of time God has given you. The way you manage your time is simply a demonstration of priority. And that's not a club to hit someone over the head. That's not the point. Nobody had to tell them. They realized, I must be with God's people if I'm going to grow and thrive and make Jesus known. There are other things in my life that are important, but man, this is a priority. What about you? What about me? Another characteristic we see here is not only a devoted pursuit, we see divine truth. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
It's the idea that Jesus' followers share truth with one another. They were devoting themselves to the Old Testament. They were devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. That'd be tantamount to us saying, man, we're burying ourselves in Scripture. We're gathering around to hear God's Word taught. We're immersing ourselves in study groups. Man, we want to know what God says because watch this. The world can have friends. And that's a good thing. But Christian fellowship, as it's defined here, involves friendship. And it involves relationship, but it doesn't end there. It means that you are surrounding yourselves with people who are not only going to be there for you and be your friend, they are immersed in truth and they are sharing what is true with you. The world's version of this, and listen, the world's version of this is that old TV show, and if you're a millennial, you're like, I don't even know what that is. There used to be this old show called Cheers, right? And it took place in a bar, so anyway, don't worry about that, but it's called Cheers, and the, the tagline was this, and here's what fellowship is, says the world, everyone knows your, everybody knows your name. Well, that's awesome. I like people to know my name. Instead of bud and bro and friend and all, I get I, I got a name. Now watch, here's what the Bible holds out. You want community and you want friendships, but you want people around you, listen to this, who not only know your name, they know the truth of God's word to love you with the truth of what God says. I cannot plead with you enough to see the value of this. I'll just give you an example that we had this week with Michael and Rebecca in times of deep sorrow and deep grief. And I watched and I witnessed and I heard some of the things that were said to them, all well-meaning, some good things. But then I saw the people of God speak truth into their lives that mattered. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And you have gone through incredible loss, but you need to know something. Jesus has not changed at all. Or Michael or Rebecca, you don't have to grieve as those who have no hope because this book says, and we've staked our eternity on the reality, that because of the resurrection of Jesus, death is not final. And you had to say goodbye to your sweet daughter, but in Christ, it's goodbye for now. Listen, brothers and sisters, friendship is huge, and we want relationships, and I'm a relational guy, and you all know that, but we need fellowship means you surround yourselves, and you are one that is immersed in Scripture, that we are speaking truth to one another. Not just when the hard times come, by the way. It is a pattern of our lives of immersing ourselves in what God says and the rock-solid truth of God's Word. So we structure here to give opportunities to learn truth and to live truth together in community. Because biblical fellowship means Jesus' followers are sharing truth with one another. See that? It's more than friendship. By the way, Job in the Old Testament? You mean Job? No, I I think it's Job. You know, the guy. So you thought you had a bad day, that guy, Job? Job had some buds. They knew his name. And in the time of his greatest sorrow, they came and gathered around him and says, they just got to sit there for three days and didn't say anything. That was probably smart. Then when they did open their mouth, all they could come out with was, they said a lot, but basically they said this, Job, here's the way it works. You're going through pain. Good people experience good things. Bad people, bad things. That's on you, Job. 
And later in the book, God rebukes Job's friends because they didn't speak truth to the friend. We need more than just friends. We need brothers and sisters who are so immersed in the truth, they share the truth of God's word with us. See that? Thirdly, I'll do this kind of quick. You see sacrificial love here that Jesus' followers laid out our lives for one another. True biblical fellowship involves sacrificial love for one another. That may mean time. We need resources. They mean preferences. Verse 44, all that believed they were together and they had all things in common. They were selling their property and possessions and sharing them with one as one might have need. I said it earlier, man, you, your needs become my needs. If I got to let go of something that's important to me because I love you that much, man, I'm going to do it. Sacrificial love. And that kind of love, the, the fourth one is this, that they also... They're characterized by a living witness. Jesus' followers vividly picture God's love by loving one another. Verse 47, they, they were praising God, these early disciples, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. There was the unspoken witness of the people of God loving, serving, being devoted to one another. And watch this. The world in that day watched and they peered in, if you will, and they looked at how they loved one another. And if you read early church historians, there was a slogan that went around in describing the early church. And the world was watching and they would say, my, how they love one another. God. And we, we, that's what we want. We want to be that kind of people in the world. Watch us and they go, I don't know what that is. I can't define that. I don't see that in the world. But I want that. I want that. So there's this living witness, this sacrificial love. There's this defined truth. All these things that characterize biblical community, biblical fellowship for us now. Those kind of biblical principles laid out from Acts chapter 2. I want to ask a second question. We'll do this rather quick. And this is really, really practical for us. Okay, so how do we do that here at Tri-Cities? I mean, how do we take these biblical principles and flesh them out here? What does that look like here? And I just want to give you three or four. Some of these are going to be very familiar with most of you. Some of you may be somewhat new. So when we talk about pursuing this, what does that look like here? Let me give you a few statements. Big idea number one is this. Together. We are together in study groups, we learn truth. Now watch this. You don't find the word study group in the Bible, okay? It's a programmatic way. We get at here, we build a structure where we together pursue truth. We have study groups that are set up on semester basis where you'll have a gifted teacher, male or female, who will come in and teach God's Word. They've prepared and they've studied. They're going to break God's Word. And then you're going to break God's Word in community together. And that exists so that we will live out this biblical principle of devoting ourselves to the Word of God together. Study groups help us do that. Just a few weeks, in fact, August 5th, which is coming up in just a couple weeks, we're, we're going to launch a whole new semester of study groups that will take different topics, different issues, uh, apply God's word to that. And we believe, as your elders and your leaders, we, we've built these structures not so we can have a program at our church called study groups. We want you to grow. 
We want you to grow in God's truth. And this is a way we get at it here called study groups. Secondly, together in life groups, we live out truth. We have something called life groups here. Life groups are these smaller groups. Life groups are these ones where you build these long relationships, these lasting friendships. They develop deeper fellowship through guided spiritual conversations, prayer, accountability, caring, serving. Your study group will meet for a semester and be, be done. Life groups go on and on and on and on. And this week we saw the value of a life group that had been devoting themselves to truth and been devoting themselves to one another. Man, we talked about how the deacons came around the Haynes family. Man, they kind of undergirded what was already going on in that life group because they were caring for one another and serving one another. But that didn't just happen on Sunday. They were living out the fruit of pursuing community for years and years and years. And this week we got to see the fruit of it. Life groups are set up so we can experience that type of fellowship and community of care and serving and talking about what God's teaching us and speaking truth into one another's lives. And this question comes up all the time. You ready? So, Pastor Mike, my time's limited. I only got 24 hours. So, should I life group, study group? You know what the answer is? What's this? Yes. I mean that. I'm not saying that as a yoke or so, so you can check off some box. Your leaders and your pastors and, and volunteer leaders have structured a way that we believe here. They complement one another in such a way to help you grow in Christ's likeness. We need both. We need to pursue that truth together. We need to live out that truth together. So it's really not designed to be an either or. They complement one another so we can grow together. August 5th, just a couple weeks away, you're going to have brand new opportunities to sign up, be a part of study groups. If you're not part of a life group yet, I'll be launching some new life groups. You can connect to existing life groups. We want to help you find your place to pursue this here. And I'll just take it a step further. I hear this statement a lot. In fact, I heard this statement this morning from someone, and they say, you know what? We've been at Tri-Cities, and we've been there for a while, and we we just seem like we're on the outside looking in. We just can't find our place to connect. We just don't feel connected. Next question. Are you in a, are you in a life group? No. Well, you pursued a study group or anything like that? And I'm not saying that in judgment. I'm just saying, well, no. I'm just going to be honest with you. If, you. if you choose to not be in those things, you're always going to feel on the outside. We don't want that. We want you to be in a place where you're loved, where you're served, where you're cared for, where you're challenged, where you're growing, where you're learning, where you're living out truth. Life groups and study groups. Two final things and we'll be done. And big idea number three is this. So with this whole idea is this. Together in membership we serve one another. In other words, we're going through this church to find series. And the reason we're going through this church to find series is because we want to hold out the idea of membership, not, not for membership's sake, to check it off a box, but because here's what the New Testament holds out. I've identified with a local New Testament church. That's my home. Some people say, well, you know, I, I kind of have church at home, and I'm part of the global body of Christ, and that's true, we are. We're connected with every other believer on the planet. But the Bible also, every letter written in the Bible, every example in Scripture, is referring to a local organized body of believers that believers identify with, come up under that leadership, serve one another, care for one another, walk along life with one another with a visible body of Christ. 
And listen, we believe membership's a big deal. It's there that we serve one another. And here's your last one. Together in membership, connecting with a church. That's where we are served. In other words, if you're here and you call this your church and you're not connected, man, we want you to not only be finding a place to serve, but we want you to be served. We want you to be experiencing the gifts of Christ's body and of his church in a place called membership that you say, that's not just the place I attend, that's my home. That's just not an event I go to on Sunday. That's where I'm going to just serve and be served and be cared for and be led and be shepherded and directed and rebuked and challenged and all that that we need. It's home. We have a process called Discover Tri-Cities that I encourage you to be a part of if you don't have a church home. And you say, well, Tri-Cities is not really for me. Okay. Then we encourage you to find a local church somewhere that you can identify with. If it's not here. So all these things are important for us as we're continuing to pursue what the church is. The church connects in community. We pursue that as brothers and sisters in Christ. So with all that said, some challenging things for us. I, I, I thought with all that's happened this week and our elders thought this was a good idea too, we're just going to end this morning really a season of praying together. A season of praying with each other and for each other. And you say, oh, that's awkward, Pastor Mike. We don't have to be awkward. We... Man, one of the gifts of the body is we, we pray with one another and we pray for each other. So there's a lot on our hearts and a lot happening. And so we're going to kind of go into a season of prayer and it's just going to look like this. You can stay right there where you're seated. You can group up as a family if you'd like. You can, some of you like this first service, you may want to make the front a place you come and pray. That's up to you. You may want to pray by yourself. You may want to pray with a group. You may want to pray out loud. You may want to just, whatever. But I want to just guide you through a few particular things. I want to ask you to pray with me about some of these. Some of them involve what we experienced this week as a church. Some of them involves what we just heard from Scripture. We want to challenge ourselves. We, we believe that anytime we open God's Word, there'll be a response. And we want to encourage you to, response, to respond in obedience. Sometimes the response is repentance. God, my whole view about fellowship, I've just been wrong, Lord. I've been wrong. I repent. So it's an attitude of prayer and worship. You don't want it to be awkward or anything. I just ask you to kind of bow your heads there if you... If you want to turn toward each other or get in some groups or just however you want to do that, I'm just going to give you a couple specific things and someone in the group, if you don't mind, just begin to voice that prayer and I'll give you a couple other things to pray about and then we'll stand and sing together and then Pastor Paul's going to come and conclude our time. But I'd like for you to take just a minute right there and I want us to specifically right now pray for the Haynes family. <laughs> You say, I, I don't even know them very well, but they're, they're part of your church family. Dynamic's part of your church. I, I want to ask you to pray right now. I want to ask you to pray for Michael, Rebecca, Layla, Nash, their other two children. Because, man, they are incredibly strong, but they got a journey ahead of them. Would you just take a minute and pray for those brothers and sisters and lift them up before the Lord? And just ask you to do that now. So if you'll do that.
to ask you now to pray for our church and you, your own family, some of the things we've been challenged with this morning from God's Word. Prayer specifically is that we would continue to pursue what the Bible says is biblical fellowship. We will pursue that and we will pursue being devoted to one another, which involves priorities and time and that we would pursue and being devoted to truth together and we would speak truth to one another and we would place ourselves around other believers that they're speaking truth into our lives we would learn to continue to love one another sacrificially and that we would see that as we love one another it's a light to the world an unspoken witness that allows us to have a spoken witness of the gospel they go together. Let's pray for our church that we would grow in that. And maybe you, something you've heard this morning, just right now, it's a moment of repentance for you. Lord, forgive me. Help me to pursue what your Bible calls me to pursue. Just take a minute and I'll ask you to pray that way. Father, I love my brothers and sisters. Father, I ask you to help me learn to love them more. Even as you loved us, your word says. Wow. So, Father, I pray that we pursue this thing called true fellowship, Lord, for your glory. God, for our good, our growth. And Lord, I do pray for a witness to a watching world that the, the world would say, man, how they love one another at Tri-Cities. We want to be a part of that. And they come to know the Savior by watching the body be the body of Christ. And by hearing the truth of the message of the gospel as we share. Lord, we need you. God, we realize this morning we need each other. God, don't let us be so prideful as to think we can go this thing alone. God, the arrogance. Forgive us of our pride. Help us to love one another. In Jesus' name. Just invite you now to continue in a spirit of worship. Anthony and the team are going to lead us in a song of response. Just invite you now to stand and sing together. And then Pastor Paul will come close our time in a minute. So why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet.